When Christ returns, there will be no more mercy. Nope, there won't be. It's going to be a very different time and a different space. Let me tell you something as well as different place. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Henry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Bible. Thank you for joining us. Now, Ryan is here. Ryan, what's going on? Well, most of us are aware that the book of Revelation is a book full of sevens, but today I want to take a look at the more subtle sevens of Revelation. All right, very good. Well, that's interesting. Uh, Janice? Today, my segment is just called redeemed. All right, redeemed. So we'll figure out what that's going to be all about in a moment. But anyway, we also have Matlock Pavetchko. Matlock, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. You're going to join us later on. Tell us about what God's doing in your life and how you came to know the Lord. It's going to be very Sounds exciting. good. So take out your Bible guide and let's focus on what God said and listen carefully to the Holy Spirit's words as he begins to speak to us. Let's look at Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14, 14 through 20. Then I looked and behold a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. Revelation 14, 15, and 16. As we go through this final book of the Bible, it is something else. There is a distinct separation for those who truly, truly believe in Jesus Christ and live for him and those who do not. And yet the time will come when that separation will be final. Let me say this another way. When that separation will be permanent. It seems that the closer we get to the end of time, the more pronounced and extreme serving Jesus Christ has become. A good example in today's world, serving the Lord Jesus Christ appears more and more like a major violation of human advancement. Human advancement. Hmm. That's what the enemy of our soul wants to propagate anyway, because he is attempting to discourage humanity 
from truly knowing and being forgiven by Jesus Christ as Lord for their sin. The truth is that when we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, He makes us wiser and more advanced than any human achievement ever could attain. And we have answers. We know where we're going. God has given us eternal life. And that life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you. Believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. That's 1 John 5, 11, 12, and 13. It's important for us to remember that coming to the Lord is not simply us humiliating ourselves. That's not it. Be being humble is knowing the fact that we are sinful and that God is not. And God has offered us forgiveness, beloved. That's exactly what it is. And so today, as we look at the harvest and the earth in Revelation chapter 14, beginning with verse 14, I would encourage you, and let me just say this, if you haven't got your Bible guide, this is the December Bible guide. The January one, if you're on the list, probably has already come. If you're not on the list, I would say, why not? Join us. Every year, we've got people that go back, you know, nine, ten years who've been reading through the Bible. Every year, we have new material. And uh, we go through it and the God speaks to us every year. And we put our efforts into it and ask the Lord to help us. We try to get it right. So call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and we will send you a Bible guide and you can check it out yourself. You can go there and uh, get it off the website just as we printed it in the PDF file. It's very interesting, The Harvest. Father, help us today. We're coming up on the judgments of God in the next few days, and this is the harvest. So help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, to hear your Holy Spirit. Because your Holy Spirit is doing things right now, even as I speak into your heart. Holy Spirit, you are doing things, not because of me. I'm simply here, but because the Holy Spirit's doing something much more advanced than anything this television program could ever do or this ministry could ever do. But we belong to you, Lord. So help us today. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen. Revelation 14, about, about mid-chapter here, beginning with verse 14, it, it talks about John looking. And he says, Then I looked, and behold, take note, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, that's authority, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple in heaven, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, the first point. When Christ returns, there will be no more mercy, only the consequence of our decision to follow Jesus or not. That's the decision we must make. Lots of decisions in life. But that's the decision we must make. Make your decision now. Beloved, we'll decide to follow Christ or not. I choose to follow Christ and I urge you to do the same today. 
I don't know you, but I urge you to do the same today. Very, very important. Revelation 14, verse 17 says, Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. He said, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. This is fascinating. The Lord will purge men and women for what they have done. Jesus is coming back. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people say, you Christians always talk about Jesus coming back and you're causing fear and doing all this. Well, let me tell you something. It's not fear that we're causing because the God has not given us a spirit of fear, beloved. We're simply saying, if you come to know Jesus Christ, there is no more fear. Because Jesus Christ takes your fear away. So, beloved, we don't tell you this for the purpose of gaining fear. We tell you this for the purpose of making it right. So there is no more fear. I don't have fear of the future. I look forward to it. Because Jesus Christ is coming back. I look forward to that. You can too. Very important. Let's read on. This gets interesting. Verse 14, 19 to 20. So... The angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. Boy, I don't know what in the world that is, but I tell you what, it's a wine press. I, that's amazing. And the wine press was trampled outside the city. Look at this. And blood came out of the wine press up to the horse's bridles. For 1,600 furlongs. That, that's, that's incredible. Beloved, listen carefully. The judgment of God is real. Let me say this. Where there is no mercy anymore, there is only death. Beloved, listen carefully. I'm going to say this and give you an opportunity to come to Christ. The judgment of God is real. But he's given every opportunity for us to come to know him. Today is your opportunity. Come to know Jesus. Simply, what, here's what I did. I said, Lord, I don't even know how to talk to you, but I need you in my life. Pray this and say, Lord, I don't know how to talk to you, but I need you in my life. Forgive me of my sin, which you died for. I believe you died on the cross. And somehow, because you're God, you rose from the dead in the flesh. Lord, I need you in my life today. Be the Lord of my life. This is what I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you're serious about God, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is going to begin to work in your life. And it's going to be, be grow you and show you the things that need to change. And so that's very simple to do. So I encourage you. Keep walking with the Lord.
Welcome back to the program. My studies on Revelation this year have all been about the different occurrences of the number seven. And today it's going to be no different. Except that instead of pointing out some of the more obvious sevens, today I want to point out some of the more subtle sevens of Revelation. You know, it really is amazing how many sevens are in there and many probably still lie undiscovered. But here are a few that you may not know about. That Revelation is a book of sevens is exceedingly obvious, even for the casual reader. Some of the more perspicuous occurrences include the seven lampstands, seven spirits, seven stars, seven churches, seven lamps, the seven-sealed scroll, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath, seven promises to the overcomer, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven thunders, seven thousand, seven heads, seven crowns, seven plagues, seven mountains, seven kings, and so on. There are, however, numerous other occurrences of seven that aren't so apparent. For example, while it is obvious that there are seven letters to seven churches, what may not be immediately perceivable is that each letter itself is composed of seven elements. One, the name of the church. Two, the chosen title of Christ. Three, a commendation. Four, Christ's concerns. Five, an exhortation. Six, a promise to the overcomer. And seven, the close. Revelation also has seven personages, including the woman, male child, red dragon, seven-headed beast, false prophet, Michael, and the lamb. There are seven years of judgments, seven I am statements of Christ, seven doxologies in heaven, seven new things, and even seven beatitudes. The first is, blessed is he who reads and those who hear and keep those things. Number two, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Three, Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. 4. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 5. Blessed and holy is he who is part in the first resurrection. 6. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And number 7. Blessed are those who do his commandments. Although there are disagreements surrounding how Revelation ought to be interpreted, there's no debating its heptatic or sevenfold structure. And we've only just scratched the surface. In fact, as the late Dr. Chuck Misler quipped, I suspect that it's probably not possible to make an exhaustive list of the sevens. Whatever number you come up with, there's probably seven times that many. So this presentation was only just a small sampling of the more subtle sevens found in Revelation, but hopefully this will encourage you to search for more examples as well. God loves it when we spend time with him and his word. You know, one of the things that's interesting is Revelation is the last book of the Bible, in the Bible. And there's a lot of sevens in it because the seventh number is God's rest day. Mm -hmm. Or that's the seventh day, which is the rest day or the holy day. And it becomes very important. The number 10 is the number that completes things. And that's why there's 10 commandments and so on. So we're not worshiping the numbers, but it's really interesting to see this. So thank you, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Janice? Well, today I called my segment Redeemed, and I'm going to be singing in a minute. I warned them sitting around the table because sometimes I have to belt it to hit the notes. I know you've got that look on your face. But first of all, you know, as I'm reading through Revelation, I am so thankful for the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and for me. 
And so I want to give us a couple of scriptures. First of all, John 3, 16 and 17, it's such a well-known verse, but sometimes it's good for us to hear it again and again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And 1 John 5, starting with verse 11, and this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I am so thankful to be redeemed. And that word just kept coming into my mind as I was reading through Revelation chapter 14. And there is an old hymn, some of you may already be singing it in your mind, written by Fanny Crosby, Redeemed, How I Love to Proclaim It. I'm only going to do the first stanza and the refrain, and that'll be about it for today. But, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. They're going to be sad that you didn't sing the whole song. Well, you know what? And I picked a little bit too high a key, but that's okay. You know what? I always tell people, God doesn't listen to the notes or even how it sounds. He listens to our hearts. So it was a little bit high, but that's, no, that's okay. We good. are redeemed. We are redeemed. redeemed. That His is child great. and forever I am. Hallelujah. Yeah, that did, did a great job on that. <laughs> uh, Matlock today is here and he, he works for us. He's one of the ma- most amazing people. I have ever met, and you <laughs> actually married my daughter. That works out for you. I'm so Matlock, when when you were young, and uh, and you were running around the streets of Orangeville and getting in trouble and doing all kinds <laughs> yes, of things, plenty of trouble. Um, you had a capturing towards film. Yes. And what what? captured your mind about film. Why did you go to school for film? Well, long story. Well, I have to make it really short considering the, the time constraints, but um, it was, I was, when I was a child, I was really interested in animation. So I really liked to draw pictures and kind of create comic books and stuff like that. I really liked story development, all those things. As I got older, film kind of grew into something that was like the amalgamation of the, all those things. So I loved narrative. I loved you know, even photography, I love art. I love all those different things. So film was like an amalgamation, all the things I loved at once. I also like traveling. So it's kind of like bonus there. If you become a filmmaker, you can travel to different places, different locations. Either way, so film was kind of like an avenue that I saw myself growing into, especially because I thought meaning was so vital and narrative was, uh, you know, especially like plot development was a catalyst for that. So I thought meaning was something that was like lost in our culture. And I just, anyways, long story short, 
I loved it for that re- for those reasons. Yeah. Now you went to school, and by the time you were in what grade, you had made the decision you were going to go to school for film. Well, grade maybe eleven or twelve, I was really interested in it. Then I went to. Uh, I didn't go to school for film at first. I went for graphic design and e-business. So I just this kind is of artwork, right? Well, was, yeah, sort of. I was doing art there, but I really wasn't that keen into just that. I then transferred from that school to a different school, and I. And this I, is in the state. This is in the U.S. in the Towson University. That's right in, in Baltimore, and then uh, I just took film from there. That was it. So I became a film major from that point because I realized, and my advisor at the time at my old school in Pennsylvania advised me to do that as well. He thought it was a good idea. Um, but yeah, I, I transferred there and I thought, you know, at the time though, I wasn't a Christian at all. So I, I became a Christian after that, but so, yes. Just going back to this film experience. Yeah. So you learned, you trained in film writing, yes. you trained in production. That's right. And you trained in direction and all that sort of thing. And so did you do any projects like film projects? Yes, we did film projects. I, uh, I did one film project called the Odyssey Ecclesiastes, which, um, might be a little bit, <laughs> not for everyone, but essentially it was like a spinoff of Italian neorealism, uh, uh, a contemporary take on that, uh, mixed with like some French new wave stuff. Long story short, it's just about the idea of the internal conflict that you have within yourself, your war between good and evil and what that looks like. I was interested a lot into psychology and a lot of different things at the time. So I tried to say the, like, the, the inner struggles that people are having. I tried to express that on like a psychological level, visually, so to speak, and with the with a priest in particular, hence the Odyssey Ecclesiastes. So hmm. you now you come from a Christian family, yes, but you you didn't really know the Lord. Nevertheless, you had these battles inside of you and the psychology of everything, and because you were you were really resolving in your mind uh, yes. all of this. So you come out of school. So when did Christ become more than just a name to you? More than just Jesus Christ as a swear word? More than when did he become God? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Because growing up, I think I was very much a nominal Christian. I loved the idea of Christianity as a child. And as I got older, it became very much, um, I felt I felt like I was very confused. I had heard one thing, you know. Catholics would say this, Protestants would say this, Orthodox would say that. I come from a very mixed family. So everyone's saying different things that are absolute truth. And at some point you're like, okay, that, like, uh, it just kind of sounds fishy. And everyone's saying something's absolute truth. And they're all using the same book. And they're all claiming to be experts. So long story short, I just kind of thought it was confused. And this really ties into this idea of the, the quote that Janice read earlier. You know, if you believe in Christ, you'll have eternal life. Because that preposition in is not just believe in his existence or in the event that happened. That's part of it. It's belief into Christ. The prepositions into. In other words, believing into his life, an actual spiritual engagement. I didn't have that as a kid. I don't think I really quite understood it. But after going to university and realizing the, my moral moral failures, and then also in two, about ten years ago, uh, around roughly this time, November December, I just actually it would have been. 10 days ago since we're taping. Sorry, <laughs> December 17th is. That's when I came to Christ fully. And I knew it. So 10 years ago uh, today. And um, from there, I really knew that, that Christ was real. It, it, and it, it really, it wasn't just a nominal, um, oh, hey, we grew up, it's a tradition thing. It wasn't like that. I prayed to God. I repent of my sins. I want you in my life, really. And it was the most sincere prayer, an urgent, sincere prayer. And at that point, I heard God speak. What did he say? He said, 
well, first of all, I felt the feeling of the Holy Spirit come down, like an, almost like anointing oil. Mm. And then you know what he said? You will marry Corey Embry. Really? That's exactly what he said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. And I, Did you, were you dating at that time, Corey? Uh, yeah, we were seeing each other, but I didn't see that coming at all because I, I was kind of, I, I, I wouldn't, I, I would say no, Corey would say yes. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. But, but realistically, like I was enamored because I, I don't know how else to explain it, but apart from the fact that I knew it was God, I was repenting when I heard his voice, I got down on my knees and I was like, yes, like I'll, whatever you like. I didn't know if it was a command at the time. I thought it was a command kind of thing, but I didn't look at it like duty. Like I was like, oh, like this, like I looked at it like a prophecy, like this, like this is what I'm supposed to do. But at the time it was like, what's the difference between a command and a prophecy with God? When God says you will do this, it's the same. You see what I'm saying? Anyways, long story short, it was um, God had his hand in my life completely and he oversaw it. And he helped me to the place where I am today. And even, even to the parts where I wasn't a Christian. Went to film school. You so happened to be involved in television and everything like that. Like, what are the chances of that? See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Corey so happened to start uh, her own thing called Open Forum, which was like a philosophical, uh, theological discussion night, which I was very keen on. Very keen on being a part of. So there was a lot of things that kind of opened up. And I didn't see that coming at all that, but by that. But anyways, God really opened things really open doors. Corey did a, this open forum idea when it was great. She came to me and she told me she wanted to do it. I said, that was a great idea. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the difference between God's command and the difference mm-hmm. between uh, God's prophecy. Yes. Because it, it seems that there is a difference. And oh, we'll of course. You, you write for the website. You do a lot of different right. things. So we're going to talk about all of this over the course of the next couple of days. And I'm so glad he did what God told him yeah. to do. <laughs> very happy about now that. we get to call him son. Exactly. That's great. And, uh, but I just, I think the, the, the people needed to see some of the people behind the ministry because the ministry, you know, you see us on television and that's fine, but the ministry is much more. There's people behind that right. really do the work of this ministry and they help us. And God has, has really put his hand on this ministry and helped us to move forward. So, uh, make sure you call people for the next couple of days. Call them and tell them, you know what? Corey's husband's going to be on. You should watch that. Let's get back to God's Word. time to pray in this Christmas week. I just want to remind you that we come together on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 to 4.30 on Facebook and YouTube and Bible Discovery TV. We're there and we're live at 3.30 to 4.30 Eastern time in the United States. We have people from all over the world who join us. So join us and we'll pray for your needs and the needs of the world. Today we pray, Father, help us as we've turned our life to you. Help us to follow you as we walk in the steps of Jesus Christ. 